morning again. If you will, turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. You know, while you're turning there, I was very encouraged this morning and through service seeing how many times Colossians, what we're going to be dealing with today, it keeps popping up. My brother uh, right here mentioned it this morning. Josh mentioned it in his exhortation and I'm just very encouraged to know that this is where the Lord is working in our midst. So Colossians 2, verse 6. Thank you, Jeff. That's going to be our focus, although, of course, I, I pretty much go everywhere. But Colossians 2, 6. And the God breathed. Infallible word of God reads, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Holy and righteous Heavenly Father. Why me? Father, I need to be taught on this passage. I in no way have perfected this. By your grace it's my desire. But for some reason beyond me, you have chosen to use me. Would you use me for the edification, the building up of the saints in this room. Would you use me to call some out of darkness into your marvelous light? Those who have truly received Christ Jesus but are struggling in their sin, struggling with walking with you, might this word come in power to them and strengthen them, O oh God. For those of us who were truly Christians, but we're letting the, the we're giving into the worldly philosophies and going into legalism and all these other things rather than Christ and Christ alone. Convict us, O oh God. Father, do a great work beyond what I, I may mention exceedingly and abundantly beyond what any of us can ask or think according to your power that works in us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So in this letter, Paul is in prison. Paul is in prison and he's writing to the Colossian church. Now, there's something about this church, as we see in the beginning of chapter 2. He has never even seen this church. He has never visited this church. But somehow, he heard a report about this church. And the report probably went something like this, okay? They, they are true Christians. They've received Christ Jesus the Lord. 
But now there's these false teachers coming in. And many of them are giving in to the deception. These false teachers are coming in and saying, okay, you've received Jesus Christ. Okay, you're a Christian. Now, now it's time for the serious stuff. Now it's time to walk with him. So they're, they're saying, look, you need these philosophies. You need to be circumcised. You need to go to the law and all these other things. So Paul writes this letter to say no. As we see here in verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. You don't receive him one way and then have to add some other things and walk another way. No, as you have received him, walk in him. Perhaps there's someone here this morning. You've truly received Christ Jesus the Lord. But now, as you seek to walk in Him, you're struggling. You're, you're battling with your sin. It's like when you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord is like these sins were just falling away. It's like you, you actually delighted in being in the Word of God and being in prayer, even fasting. You loved the church. Every time the doors were open, you were there. But now as you walk, Seems like all those sins are popping up like weeds and they're just choking you out. Your, your love for the scripture and prayer, it's almost non-existent. It's just something you do to get out of the way now. Your love for the church, now it's, it's just an option. I take it or leave it. I'm going on vacation. I'm I can, I can skip church this week. Now, I am not condemning anyone on going on vacation and not coming here. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when you go on vacation, just like we make our plans, we should make a plan. We should see what churches are there, where we're going to visit, and be a part of the people of God. So I'm not condemning that. But as we walk, I fear many of us, with all our loves, they, they die down. Why? Because we're trying to walk differently than we receive Christ Jesus. We receive Jesus Christ by faith alone, by forsaking all, looking to him alone, not looking to the law, not looking to the wisdom this world has to provide or any other thing. You know, perhaps there's some in here and I want to be careful with this because I don't want to heap false condemnation on any struggling Christian that truly has received Christ Jesus. But perhaps there's some in here, you're trying to walk in Jesus Christ. You're trying to live like a Christian, yet you never received him. I know that too well. I spent two decades of my life in that. You know, you're, you're reading your Bible, you're saying your prayers, you're even fasting, you're here in the church, you're doing all these things. Yet Jesus Christ isn't your Lord. He isn't your master. He doesn't dictate and command your life. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? You don't do the things I say. You call him Lord, but then you're actually the Lord of your own life. You do what you want to do. You know, now, any struggling believer in here, 
I'm not saying that if you don't perfectly obey the Lord, then you have received Him. That's not what I'm saying. But it's the desire of your life to obey Him. Is that your desire? When, when you sin, is it because, oh man, I couldn't do what I wanted? Or is it, I sinned against my Lord who shed His blood for me. So be encouraged. You may be struggling in your sin, but there is an answer for you. And it's to return to how you received Christ Jesus, your Lord. So with that being said, let's examine this a little more closely. So it says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord. You know, I don't think there's any word in the English language that quite captures what this word received here means. So often we think, okay, yep, maybe football, you know. Oh, he throws the ball, I receive the ball. But that's not what this word means. This word here, it literally means to aggressively take hold of something by strong personal initiative and bring it to yourself. You know, children, maybe, let's say your brother or sister has a toy or something you really want. Maybe it's yours and you see they have it and they shouldn't. So you go over, you grab it, you yank it from them with all your might and receive it to yourself. That's what this word here in the Greek means. It's an aggressive, uh, even a violent word. You know, I fear that's why many in this culture believe they're Christians. Oh, because I've received this message. I've received this message. Jesus died for my sins. He rose again. I've received that message. I'm a Christian. But no, that's not what it means to receive Jesus Christ. That is included but receiving him. It's in act of strong personal initiative, knowing you are a sinner, knowing you have no hope. You can't go to the law. You can't do anything. Jesus Christ is your only hope. And you reach out for him. You don't care what you have to cast away. You cast this world away to take hold of Christ and make him your own as your Lord, as your Savior. I pray many of you in here have done that. And if you have not, I pray that the Lord will cause that cause you to do that today. So this is what it means to receive Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, notice, this is one of probably the only place in the New Testament that you will see this order, Christ Jesus the Lord. You'll see Christ Jesus. You'll see Lord. You'll see Jesus Christ. But as far as my research, I could be wrong, but this is the only place you'll find that order, Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, why does he order it like that? Well, if we go back, what he is really doing in a sense, it's taking a whole teaching he gave earlier and kind of putting it in one verse. So I want you to back up to verse 15. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
So what does it mean to receive Christ? Well, as we said, it's aggressively laying hold of him, making him your own. But who is he? He's Christ Jesus the Lord. Christ refers to him as the anointed one of God. It refers to his office. Jesus refers to his work. Matthew 1.21, the angel said to um, Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. His office and his work and his person. And that's what we see here. Colossians 1.15, it says, he is the image of the invisible God. In other words, Jesus Christ is the God that you can see. God is spirit. We cannot see God. God sent his son. And Jesus Christ says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because Jesus Christ was the image, the God you could see. In John chapter 1, he says, in the beginning was the word. Well, how is Jesus Christ the word of God? Well, what do our words do? But they express what you can't see. You can't see our inside. You can't see our hearts, our motivations. But when our words come and make them manifest, then you know. Jesus Christ is the word of God and that he was sent as the expression to make God known. And at the end of that passage in verse 18, it says, no one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. He has made him known. Jesus Christ is the word of God. He is the image of the invisible God. So as the image of the invisible God, who is he? Well, it says he's the firstborn over all creation. Now, again, our words. When we hear firstborn, we think of, you know, oh, he was the first one born. Well, that's not how scripture can use it that way. Indeed, it does. But that's not what it's referring to here. Psalm 89, God says of David, I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. So how is David? How does God make David his firstborn? If he's speaking of human beings, doesn't that go to Adam? If he's speaking of kings, doesn't that go to Saul? How is David the firstborn? God made him the highest, the chief of all the kings of the earth. The firstborn would get all the rights, all the inheritance was his. So this is what it's speaking of. The word is protokos. You, you hear that proto, prototype, the first, the model, as it were. So Jesus Christ, the firstborn over all creation. He's the chief. He's the highest of all creation. It says, for by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Visible and invisible, rather thrones, dominions, or principalities, or powers. All things were created 
through him. Stop right there. So Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the God you can see, who is the chief, who is the highest of all creation. He wasn't the first created. He's the chief and highest. Why? He created all things. Says all things. Rather in heaven, above our heads, the billions and hundreds of billions of galaxies on earth, down to every molecule, visible and invisible, the things we can't even see, they were created through Jesus Christ. Nothing was created that is not through Jesus Christ. And that includes every single one of us in here. So, what does it mean to receive Jesus Christ? You're receiving the image of the invisible God, the expression of God, who is the highest of all creation, who created all things, including you, including me, and as our creator. In God's image and God's likeness, we are created to reflect that image and reflect that likeness to the world. And if you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, though you do not do it perfectly, I don't either. Your purpose in life, your goal in life is to reflect his image and likeness, which in Ephesians, it tells us about the image of God. It says, put on the new man created according to the image of God and true righteousness and holiness. Righteousness has to do with his law. Holiness has to do with living a life separated from this world, separated unto God. So if we receive him as our creator, then we receive unto ourselves the responsibility to reflect him to this world. So he is the firstborn because he's creator of all things, the creator of us. But also he's the firstborn because he's the purpose of all things. You see, at the end there, when it says, all things were created through him and for him. So Jesus Christ not only created us, and we are responsible to reflect his image to this world, but he's the purpose of all things. He's the purpose of our lives. Jesus Christ came, and he said, my food, you know what I sustain myself off of? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Later he says, I could do nothing of myself, but what I see the father do, whatever he does, the son does in like manner. He says, I myself could do nothing. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is righteous because I don't seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He says, I did not come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This should be the heart of every believer in this room and even beyond this. He is the purpose of all things. So when we receive, when we take hold of Christ, we make him our own. We receive him to ourselves as the one who created us to reflect his image and his likeness. And the one who is the pur purpose of our lives, our entire lives, our purpose to do the will of our Father. I pray that's your purpose this morning. But also we see 
as we go into verse 17, it says, And he is before all things. So what does this mean to us? It means that Jesus Christ is eternal. Nothing else is eternal. In the book of Hebrews, God speaking to Jesus Christ. And it's interesting because we speak about Jesus, the image of the invisible God. What God is actually doing, he is taking a passage from Psalm 102, speaking of God, and applying it to Christ, the image of the invisible God. And he says, you, Lord, in the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens did the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. Like a garment, they will grow old. Like a cloak, you will fold them up. They will be changed, but you are the same. And your years will not fail. Listen, everything in this world is going to fail. It may last a little longer, but it's going to fail. Jesus Christ will not fail. He will never fail. He is the only eternal one. So when we receive Jesus Christ to ourselves, we receive him to ourselves to reflect his image. We, re, we receive him to ourselves to do his will. We receive him to ourselves as the eternal one that we can cast our lives upon, that will never fail us. His words will never fail. Perhaps you've had so many people, bosses made you promises, spouses have made you promises. Your parents have made you promises, and they fell. One after another, they fell, they fell, they fell. Why? Maybe it's because God is saying, stop trusting in them. Trust in me and my word. I will not fail you, and Jesus Christ will not fail you. It's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for the image of the invisible God to lie. So, Trust in Him. You can trust your whole life in His hands. And He will not fail. So we see He's before all things. And lastly it says, And in Him all things consist. This word, sunestakin, it means to stand together. All things stand together through Jesus Christ. Even the chairs in this room, they stand together through Jesus Christ. Everything. Absolutely everything. That includes you. And that includes me. Even spiritually, our faith is held together by Jesus Christ. This is why you cannot lose your salvation if you're truly a Christian. Because you aren't responsible for holding it together. Jesus Christ, who cannot fail, holds you. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They'll never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands. My Father, who is greater than all, He gave them to me. No one will snatch them out of my Father's hands. I and my Father are one. Our salvation is secure in Christ. Christ Jesus, the Lord. This is what it means to receive Christ Jesus, the Lord. To receive Him as your Creator. Responsible to reflect his image. To receive him as your purpose in life. As the eternal son of God. 
and the one who sustains all things, who sustains you, who sustains your faith. Now, Paul makes a little switch here. So he's been speaking about all things, all things, all things, all things in the world. But if we look here in verse 18, it says, and he is the head of the body, the church. Why does he switch? Why doesn't he just say he's the head of all things? Paul says that in Colossians. It says, when he raised Jesus from dead, set him at his right hand, he's above principalities, powers, thrones, dominions, every name that can be named in this world or the world to come. It says, he put all things under his feet, gave him as head over all things to the church. So, why does Paul not say he's the head of all things here? Well, Paul is making a very important distinction. Now, I'm not up here for the sake of controversy. I'm up here to defend the glory of my Savior. What Paul is doing here, because he is going to go into the work of Jesus Christ and reconciling his people, bringing enemies back into relationship to God. Now, if Paul was to continue in the same vein, all things, all things, all things, all things, then what he would be doing here is basically saying, Jesus Christ, he laid down his life, he shed his blood, he redeemed everyone and the world. You know, there's a lot of controversies. Who did Jesus Christ die for? Well, it all comes back to this. What did he do on the cross? Did he make an opportunity or did he actually do something? Let's say you, I go to the store and I, I go and buy some groceries. My wife needs me to go get some groceries. I go out, get some groceries. I pay the clerk. And as I seek to get them, put them into my bag, I see the, the clerk, she, she reaches her hand in some of my bags and starts taking out stuff. I'm like, what you doing? I bought that. She's like, no, you, there's an opportunity here for you to have these things. But, you know, I have free will. I can take what I want. But you not be like, no, I laid down my money for those things. I purchased those things. And what did Jesus do? He purchased a people for himself. So that's why Paul specifically mentions the church here. So he is the head or authority of the body, which is the church. You know, in, in today's age, it seems that the church has become an option, as I mentioned earlier. It's not an option. It's the body of Christ. He is the head. And even in chapter 2, you'll see that you can't really hold fast to Christ, the head, if you don't hold fast to the body. But it says he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence or be in first place. Jesus Christ is the authority of the church. 
It's the authority of the church, which is the only entity, if you can say it like that, the only entity that will not perish. Why? Because Jesus Christ, he's before all things. He's eternal and he holds us in his hands. We are his body. What more important organization, you can say, can we be a part of? Let's give ourselves to the body of Christ as we are members of the body of Christ. So to receive Christ Jesus the Lord is to receive him. It's the creator of all things, the purpose of all things, the one before all things, the one who holds together all things, but the one who is the head, who is the authority of the church, which is his body. And then it goes into his work. Verse 19, for it pleased the Father that in him the full, all the fullness should dwell. In other words, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it all dwelt in Christ. And that, that goes beyond comprehension. The eternal God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit came in the body. It placed the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. And by him to reconcile. Reconcile is to bring two who are at odds with each other back into a right relationship. Perhaps you've had to do this with your kids. Your kids are fighting. And you have to step in and say, okay, what's the problem? And you seek to bring them back into a right relationship. So Jesus Christ came between us and God. We're enemies with each other. We'll see here, enemies in our minds because of wicked works. But Jesus Christ stepped in the middle, middle. As Job speaks, he says, oh, that there were a mediator that can lay one hand on me, one hand on God. And indeed, we have one, Jesus Christ. And he reconciled and says all things to himself. Remember this in the context of the church. The word here, panta, just simply means all. Every part that applies. So, all, every individual that Jesus Christ laid down his life for will be saved. There are no dropouts. Remember what the angel said to Joseph. You will call his name Jesus. He will save his people from this. It's not he will try. Not he'll make his best attempt. Not he'll give them the opportunity. Then he's going to pray and say, oh, come on, Father, I lay down my life. Come on, bring him to the faith. Bring him. No, that's not our Savior. Our Savior is sovereign. He saves his people. He laid down his life for them. And as Isaiah tells us, he will look upon the labor of his soul and he will be satisfied. That's a great encouragement for us. Because we can go out. We can preach the gospel. And guess what? If they have been chosen, have been elected from the foundations of this earth, we don't have to be like, man, I got to say this right. I got to, what, what if, no, we just open our mouth. And he will save his people from their sins. So, 
He reconciled all to himself, says by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. This is referring probably to Christians on earth, those who are still on this earth, and those, the Old Testament saints, who are now in heaven. Because when they went to heaven, though Jesus Christ, his sacrifice was applied to him, then he hasn't yet died. So when he died, he did it to reconcile all things, all the church in heaven or on earth. And it says, having made peace through his blood of the cross. Peace. We were enemies with God. We were born into this world. We were set against God. We want nothing to do with him. We were the gods of our own lives. We were the lords of our own lives. I want that. I do that. I pray that's no one in here this morning. He made peace. How? Through his blood. The word here is propitiation. It's a big word. Let me give you an example. I may have used this before. But if you are angry at someone, but you do not want to take out your anger on them, because you know that wouldn't be right. But you happen to have a punching bag. And you go and take out your anger on that punching bag. That punching bag has just become a propitiation. In Psalm chapter 7 we're told. God is a righteous judge. And he is angry with the wicked. Every day. If he does not turn back. He will sharpen his sword. He bends his bow. And makes it ready. Present tense. Not future. He bends his bow. Makes it ready. He prepares present tense. His instruments of death. And makes his arrows fiery shafts. What is this telling us? It's telling us the future for those. Who live in the wickedness. And don't turn to God. The future of them is the sword of God. But presently. His Arrows are aimed at their chest. And at any second, at his will, he can release them. And they will cast you into hell for all eternity. But Jesus Christ became the propitiation for his people. And God, when Jesus Christ was on that cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God took his arrows as it were. They were aimed at us. And he turned them on his son. And he released all of his flaming arrows into the chest of Jesus Christ. It pleased the Lord to crush him. The chastisement for our peace fell upon him. He made peace. By his blood on the cross. And he says, verse 21, And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, blameless, above reproach in his sight. This tells us two things. 
about what Jesus did in his death and what his death accomplished. His death not only accomplished the beginning of your salvation, being made at peace with God, but Jesus' death accomplished your sanctification, the whole process, until you're presented holy, blameless, above reproach in God's sight. What did Jesus do on that cross? Did he just say, okay, I'm going to die. I'm going to make them at peace with you. Now I'll leave it up to them. No. His death purchased the beginning, everything in the middle, and the end. We are secure in the death of Christ. If you're struggling in your sin today, you're like, I can't make it to the end. This is too hard. If you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he who began a good work in you will complete that work. His death is going to get you to the end. It's not you. It's not me. It's his death. Trust in that. Cast your life upon that. And you will be glorified with him in that day. So, what does it mean to receive Jesus Christ? Christ Jesus the Lord. To receive Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. Creator of all things. He's the purpose of all things. He's the one eternal before all things. He's the sustainer of all things. That's Christ. Christ Jesus. And in his work, lay down his life. He made his enemies to be at peace with God. And he laid down his life to secure our entire sanctification. That's why Paul makes this distinction. Because if he just continued on, we can justly make the argument, okay, well, everyone's going to be saved. If it's true that everyone is made at peace with God by his death, if it's true that everyone is going to be presented holy, blameless, above reproach, what's, what's the, I'm just going to go live in my sin. What's the point of this? But no, he did it for his people. And for his people, his death give the, gives them a new heart. That hates their sin. They don't say, hey, I'm going to sin. The grace may abound. No. Do you not know that those of us who have died with Christ have been buried with him? And we rose with him to walk in newness of life? Have you received Christ Jesus the Lord? Have you aggressively taken hold of him as your only hope in this world? You know, living for yourself, all you can do is navigate your way to hell. You want to be captain of your own ship? Well, that ship is the Titanic. And just as the captain went down with the ship, so you will go down with your ship. Unless you trust in the captain of our salvation. So, this is what it means to receive Christ Jesus the Lord. Then he says, so, in the same manner that you received him, so, let us walk 
this word walk, peripatete, it means, it, it's a word that refers to literal walk, walking, but in a figurative sense, it means your all-around conduct. The word means to walk comprehensively all around. Like, let's say you come into this room. Well, you can walk from the door to here. Or you can walk through the door and cover every square inch of this place until you get here. That's what this word means. So, your all-around conduct. How do I conduct myself when I'm at work? As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. How do I conduct myself in my marriage? As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. How do I conduct myself concerning my children? As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. Period. Nothing more. Nothing less. That's how we walk. So. Does Paul have something to tell us about how we are to walk in him. Indeed he does. As If we continue here. In verse 23. He says if. Indeed. You continue in the faith. Now I want to address something real quick. Because the word if is there. So are you telling me. If a true Christian. Who has been made at peace with God. So the beginning of his salvation is secure. The end of his salvation is secure. But you'll tell me if he doesn't do this, he's going to lose his salvation? No. In John chapter 21, we can very easily pass over this, what Jesus is doing here. But Jesus is speaking to Peter. After he tells, the, tells Peter that, you know, the day's coming, when someone else is going to gird you and take you where you do not wish, telling him what death he would die to glorify God. He says to Peter, follow me. Peter turns around, looks at John, says, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus says, if, if I will that he remain till I come, what's that to you? Follow me. And it says the saying went out that this disciple would not die. And that's what we often do. We hear an if, and then we jump to conclusions. But no, he continues, John continues and says, no, he didn't say that. He says, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Follow me. In other words, we don't hear an if statement and then jump to conclusions. Well, if, if it's an if, well, a Christian can lose it. No, a Christian is secure in Christ. And listen, if you are in Christ, if you have received Christ Jesus the Lord to yourself, you are secure. Yes, there is an if. But see, this if, it separates the sheep from the goats. Why do I say that? A true Christian who has faith. See, it all goes back to faith. A true Christian believes the word of God. And he hears that if, and he's like, uh-oh. And he runs the other direction. And he hears another one, and he runs faster, and he runs faster, pursuing holiness, pursuing Christ. While the false convert, which as I said, I was one of them. That's why I know it so well. They hear the ifs, and they're like, oh, I'm good. I know I'm secure in Christ. 
here's the boundary line. They're like, well, I can step over because God will forgive me, right? And I'm secure. He laid down his life for me. I'm good. That's what the false convert does. I pray that's none of you who hear the warnings of Scripture and says, well, that doesn't apply to me. No, it all applies to you. Christian or not, it applies. But let's see what he says about walking in Christ. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith. This word continue, it means to persevere or to go forward in a manner fitting with an object. Fitting with what? Continue in the faith. Faith, the word, is a divine persuasion. So we continue, we persist, we go forward in a manner consistent and fitting with Christ Jesus who we just looked at. We persist to go forward living in life of the one who created us to reflect his image and likeness. Of the one who is the purpose of our lives. Of the eternal one we can hold on to and cast our lives upon him. The one who sustains us and sustains our faith. And we can abound with thanksgiving. This is what it means to continue in the faith. To continue living in light of his work on the cross. And reconciling us to God. You know in Paul's letters, you, you might know how many times he says, Remember, remember what you were. Remember, we were all once foolish, disobedient, deceived, slave to various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Remember, at one time you're without Christ. You're alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, without hope, without God in the world. Remember, we live in light. Of what Christ has done. Remembering we were alienated. We were enemies with God. God had all of his artillery. Aimed at us. Remember. And in light. That Jesus Christ has secured. Even the end. Of our salvation. Glorying in that. Being thankful for that. That's how we continue. That's how we continue and move forward in the faith. It's not by going to all of these other things. It's Christ and Christ alone. He says, if we continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast. This word grounded, it literally means a foundation. It's used in Matthew chapter 7. End of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, If any of you hears my words, and he does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended, the winds blew, the waves beat against that house, and that house stood. Why? Because it was Tethe Meliominoi on the rock. It was founded on the rock. How do we continue in the faith grounded, founded by hearing the words of Christ and obeying the words of 
Christ. It's that simple. Now you're like, now, it is any, I, I didn't say it was easy. I said, it's that simple. Obeying his word. Now, of course, it's the most difficult thing you'll ever do. You wrestle like my brother said. You wrestle not against flesh and blood. Against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. The devil roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But we are to resist him, standing firm in the faith. We are told to resist probably the most powerful being under God. But how? Standing firm in the faith. Same thing we see here. Same thing. So it says grounded and steadfast. This word means to be fixed, to not be given to any fluctuation or being moved off course. It's used in 1 Corinthians 15. After Paul deals with the resurrection of Christ and that we will be resurrected with him, he says, therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So, to be grounded and to be steadfast is to have a firm foundation of the obedience of faith and not to be given to anything that will move you from that. So many things in the world that seek to move us from obedience to our Lord. I know the Bible says this, but with my situation, I no, we obey and we trust Christ. So he says, continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel. But you heard. Now this word, not before moved away, the negation, I mentioned it in my last sermon here. And he uses the word may here again. There's two Greek negations, ooh and may. Ooh, objective negation. Okay, this one object I'm speaking of. May is subjective which is ruling out any implication or suggestion. Okay, let me give us another example. So, kids, let's say your parents, they, they come to pick you up from school, and they see you hanging out with a group of friends. Now, you have a history with this group of friends. You, you get in trouble with them. And so they come and tell you, after you get into the car, they say, look, I do not want you hanging out with them after school. They use the word ooh. So you say, hey, okay, I can't hang out with them after school. But any other time, I can hang out with them. I mean, she said ooh. Just that objective negation of that very word. So let's say the next day, let's say you want to surprise your son, and have lunch with him. And you see him eating with that same group of friends. 
you want to be nice, so you eat, you talk to everyone. But afterwards, you pull them aside. You're like, did you forget what I told you? I told you not to hang out with this group. And he's like, no, no, you didn't. You said, do not hang out with them after school. You use ooh, objective negation. However, if May was used, Look, I don't want you hanging out with them after school. I don't want you hanging out with them before school. I don't want you hanging out with them in the middle of school, eating lunch with them, going to the... I don't care. You do not hang out with them. They are bad influences. That's what Paul is doing here. So he's saying, I don't want you to have anything to do with anything that would even suggest or imply you being moved away from obedience to Christ. That's how we must walk as Christians. Now Paul deals with these things in the rest of chapter 2. For time, I'm just going to mention them. I encourage you to read them. But there's four main things that the Colossians are dealing with being moved away. First of all is philosophy. He says, let no one cheat you through philosophies. And these philosophies, he says, they're nothing but deceits. They're nothing but according to the traditions of men. They're nothing but according to the basic principles of the world. Basically, they just have to do with this world. They're not according to Christ. Philosophy, the word, it has to do with a love of wisdom. Phileo and Sophia, philosophy, love and wisdom. The wisdom of this world. Oh, we've received Christ Jesus the Lord, but now we gotta, we gotta be wise. We gotta go outside of the Bible, outside of obedience to Christ. That's how we gotta walk. Paul says, no, don't have anything to do with that. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, that's how you walk. He goes on, speaks of legalism. These people, these false teachers are coming in. You need to be circumcised. You need to keep the law of God. Food, drink, religious festivals, Sabbath, new moon. Paul's like, that's all a shadow. The body is Christ. Listen. Don't be moved away from Christ to legalism. Trusting in Christ to trust in your keeping of the law. All you can do with the law is damn yourself. And the book of Romans, he tells us, after chapter 7, what Paul's like, the things I will to do, I do not do. That which I hate, that I practice. What's wrong with me? I'm a wretched man in the body of death. Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the law, all you can do is condemn yourself. Because you can't keep it. I can't either. He says, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus have made you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. How is the law weak? It's not. It's weak through the flesh. I'm weak. You're weak. 
You can't keep the law. You'll only condemn yourself. Don't be moved off of Christ to the law. He also mentions in here mysticism. He speaks of going into visions, worship of angels, going beyond Christ. You say, well, I'm not given to any of those things. Well, what about this? Well, I've received Jesus Christ, but now I'm waiting on some mystical experience. And when that happens to me, then I walk like I'm supposed to. Rather than simply looking at the word of God and obedience to Christ and not being moved away from that. You're like, that's not enough. I need some experience. Something needs to happen to me. Some emotional. It's mysticism. Don't be getting to that. I'll move you off from Christ. Lastly, he mentions what's called asceticism. What is asceticism? It means severe treatment of the body. There's, there's monks and things in other religions. They'll actually beat themselves. They think that's going to profit them. You say, well, I'm not given to that. Well, have you ever thought like this? Now, fasting and prayer. If you do them to see Christ, you indeed should do those things. But have you ever thought like this? Man, if I just, if I just fast long enough, then, then I will walk like I'm supposed to walk. If I just pray long enough, then I walk like I'm supposed to walk. That's asceticism. Harsh treatment of your body thinking that's going to profit you and your walk and your struggle with sin. He says these things have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion and humility and neglect of the body but have no value. For the indulgence of the flesh. Are you struggling with sin? None of those things will help you. It's Christ. And Christ alone. These things. Plus many more. Can move us away. From Christ. But as we have received. Christ Jesus the Lord. That. Is how we are. To walk in him. So that's my prayer. For every Christian in this place today, you've received Christ Jesus alone. You've aggressively taken hold of Jesus Christ by strong personal initiative, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the purpose of all things, the one before all things, the head of the church, the reconciler of all in the church. You've aggressively taken hold of him, made him your own. Continue in that. Continue in obedience. Do not be moved away from that. Or perhaps, as I mentioned earlier, you may be in here. You're like, I'm trying to live as a Christian. But you're trying to live and walk as a Christian. When you haven't even received Christ Jesus the Lord. You want to, you don't, you aren't worried about displaying his image and his likeness. You care about yourself, your own name. You live for yourself. Your purpose in life is whatever you want to do. 
You haven't received Christ Jesus as your Lord, your master, your owner, your ruler. Stop trying to walk and think that's going to please God. Receive Christ Jesus the Lord. Take a hold of him. He is your only hope. Your only hope. Or perhaps you can care less about receiving Christ or walking in Christ. Well, in chapter 3, we're told that the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. Receive Christ Jesus the Lord. Him and Him alone until you can say, my hope is built on nothingness, but Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Holy and righteous Heavenly Father. Father, I know that I have failed. For who is sufficient for these things? Definitely not I. But I pray that you would use this five loaves and two fish. Stained and tainted by my sin and misunderstandings. And you would multiply it. And you would feed everyone in this place. Those who are Christians, who are walking victoriously, those who are Christians who are struggling in their sin. Those who are deceived, trying to walk as a Christian when they haven't received Christ Jesus the Lord. And those who could care less about receiving or walking in Christ. Would you do a great and a marvelous work above and beyond what any of us can even imagine? May the word of the Lord run swiftly and be glorified now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.